Hi, this is Sissy. And this is Jovi. And you're listening to Bed Crime Crime Stories. This is a weekly true crime podcast where we pour each other a drink and we take turns telling each other the stories that keep us up at night. Was that it? (laughs) I'm not used to that because, you know, Charlie usually handles all the words. So hopefully that sounded kind of (laughs) right. It sounded good to me. I thought it was perfect. Okay. Awesome. And you know, it doesn't hurt that I actually did pour myself a drink for this episode. So I may be a little on the intoxicated side. Nice. Okay. So our, our fellow listeners, our friendly listeners, as you could tell, Charlie is not podcasting with us tonight. She has gotten the vid. So Sissy has so graciously break well, Mm-mm. so graciously honored us with her presence so hi sissy welcome back hi yes it was tag you're it it's time to fill in so <laughs> i'm like that substitute right. teacher that everybody loved in school <laughs> that's right that's right substitutes get all the love man that's right all the love and i mean it only makes sense because you know you're charlie's sister so it's like a, a version of charlie but cooler so true <laughs> So true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Charlie, just stating the facts, but we do hope you feel better. Yes. Because COVID sucks and it should really not be a thing anymore. No. In my agreed. humble opinion. COVID is so over. <laughs> it's so 2020. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Sissy, how are you? Are you are you reading anything, listening, watching anything true crimey, or just watching anything fun or cool? Um, I am actually, I feel like I'm on a true crime, uh, break right now. Um, mm-hmm. I did start the new season of criminal minds actually with Charlie. Uh, but I just can't bring myself to watch it after work when it gets dark by myself. So <laughs> there it's understandable. Yeah. Like three episodes in that's it. I always pick one of my shows, like my go-to comedies. That's always my background noise. So I like very, I have like my three that I go back and forth with. It's usually Friends, New Girl, and Modern Family. And I'm currently redoing Modern Family. And I have to say, Phil Dunphy is the greatest TV dad <laughs> ever. And I will fight anybody who disagrees <laughs> because I love Phil Dunphy. <laughs> He is quite, you know what? I can agree with that. He is an amazing TV dad. He's so funny. He is so funny. And I mean, I have not seen all of Modern Family, but I do know the episodes that I watch. They were my favorite because he's in it. Like just his presence makes it that much better in my opinion. I agree. I agree. So right now that's Mm -hmm. pretty much it. And then of course, like normal TV is back. So my Wednesday nights are my... I, it's the Chicago night. So I watch my med fire and PD. So those have been very good, but that's it. That's, that is about it. How about you, Jovi? Um, I'm also in a little bit of a true crime dry spell. Um, and I think that's just something that's going on that everybody's catching. Um, Cause I know that Charlie is the same. She didn't mention that you guys were watching the new season of um, of criminal minds and she's like and that's basically it I'm like yeah I'm um I'm re-binging the Goldbergs so <laughs> so yeah I get it I get it it's just not I haven't been in the mindset 
lately to sit and actually watch um, a documentary or anything like that. But it is what it is. Yes. It is what it is. So yeah, no, I'm not watching anything new or I mean, I'm watching a very funny show, but it's whatever. I just, <laughs> I'm like over explaining myself at this point. Okay. So I think we should just kind of jump on in. Okay. Um, this is, it's, it's so weird because I know that I've taken a day off from podcasting, so I'm never the one who's actually running things. <laughs> so it's, it's so, it's so weird. And I'm so glad that Charlie runs things because not me. Not for me. Mm -mm. (laughs) All right. So tonight I am going to be telling Sissy along with the, our podcasting world, the story of Danny LaPlante, the boy in the wall. This story creeped me out a lot, not even going to lie. And my sources for tonight are weirdtruecrime.com, joeturnerbooks.com, and allthatsinteresting.com. So, and no Wikipedia. I did not use Wikipedia. This is like the first time ever, I think, that I didn't use Wikipedia. All right. And that's shocking to me. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Danny LaPlante was born in Townsend, Massachusetts on May 16th, 1970. He lived with his mom, Elaine, and his stepfather, along with several brothers and sisters. And ironically, he lived on Elm Street. So he was quite literally the nightmare on Elm Street. Not the cool one, not the Freddy Krueger kind, because I love me some Freddy. He was my boyfriend growing up in the 80s. (laughs) Not going to lie. I was all about the nightmare on Elm Street movies. (laughs) It's it's that sweater, you know, it's that red and gray sweater. He was he Mm -hmm. was very well put together for a murderer. I like it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Half melted face and all. Exactly. (laughs) Now, Danny did not grow up living a good life at home as he was abused by his father and his stepfather. His father was apparently the one responsible for most of the abuse, which supposedly included physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, and quite frequently throughout his childhood. He also struggled in school and was diagnosed with dyslexia at an early age, but he was given no support for it. Um, He was socially awkward and bullied due to his odd behavior and lack of personal hygiene. Peers called him weed and weed. Wow. Peers called him weird and creepy. In his early teens, school officials referred him to a psychiatrist due to his odd behavior, lack of hygiene, and overall appearance. However, this unfortunately did more harm than good, being that his psychiatrist also sexually abused him. So this poor kid, well, um, poor kid, I'm saying that now, was went to get help only to be further abused and his trauma just growing and growing. In his early teens, LaPlante established himself a small time thief. He spent his evenings breaking into people's properties in his neighborhood and stealing valuables. So the more he robbed houses, the more he had the need slash want to torment people. So by the age of 15, he was breaking into people's homes and not only taking their possessions, but he started to leave things behind. Um, He also took it upon himself to kind of move furniture around and like pictures and clocks just to mess with people's minds to make them double think, like, what the fuck is going on here? And it also wasn't something that he would move that would be immediately obvious. 
So eventually he was invading people's homes purely for purposes of playing mind games with the owners. But in 1986, his life of crime escalated. Danny had found a phone number of a local household that belonged to a family of three, Frank Bowen and his his two daughters, Karen and Tina. Um, How he actually got the phone number, they don't know. They don't know if maybe he had robbed their house prior and just found their number laying around because, you know, back in the 80s, we didn't have cell phones or anything. They had like, um, you know, old looking phones. And you know how on some of them, I know my grandmother's phone was like this, where it had a piece of... It had the little piece of paper with the numbers and for the memory that I'm like, how would I explain that? Yes. So they're thinking that that's how he got their phone number was Uh maybe they had home or they just wrote it. So it was always somewhere um, because the kids were younger and regardless of how he got it, he started to call that phone number and call it often. Tina 15 and Karen nine began to talk with Danny via telephone conversations. He had told them that he was given their number by a friend who went to the same school as them and that he was good-looking, athletic, blonde, and a well-educated boy who also lived in that same neighborhood. So Tina and Danny became very well acquainted and they talked so much that Tina agreed to go on a date with Danny one night. So it was like the early days of online dating which was telephone dating (laughs) (laughs) danny arrived at the bowen's doorstep and tina was shocked that he looked nothing like the boy that he described he wasn't blonde and he wasn't athletic nothing so she was a little thrown off he was instead of being tall blonde and athletic he was greasy dark haired and disheveled and he she didn't find him attractive at all Regardless, Tina did let him take her on their date. And after an hour, she was like, hmm, gotta go. See ya. She realized she was catfished. She was catfished (laughs) before it was cool to be catfished. (laughs) Yes, 110%. And you know what? I give her credit because I wouldn't have even went on that date. Sorry. No. I would have been like, "Mm, no. I would Honestly, I wouldn't have answered the door, especially like if she had a peephole or like, um, like a side window or whatever. I've been like, no, I'm not yeah. going anywhere near this motherfucker. It was during their date that Danny had learned that Tina and Karen had recently lost their mother to cancer, leaving only their father to take care of them. Danny allegedly took great interest regarding, regarding the details of um, the mother's death, much more so than just asking, oh, how did she die? He wanted like specifics. Tina later claimed that it seemed as though he was obsessed with the death of her mother and he just kept pushing. She would try to change the subject. He would just keep asking her questions about her mom's death, which is weird. And that's like red flag a million. Yeah. (laughs) Just saying. Definitely. Yeah. So after that date, Tina didn't willingly see him after that. She was like, nope, I'm done. And can't say that I blame her so now being that they were young well they were preteens and I mean I never messed with this but a lot of teenagers like to do the Ouija board thing and I never personally did it because I heard of the horror stories and then everybody being like you know 
by doing that, you're inviting an unwelcome spirit, blah, blah, blah. So I never did the Ouija board thing. Did you and Charlie ever do it? No, I, we've never even owned one. I think I, you know, I obviously like you would go to friends' houses that they, mm-hmm. they had it, but I mm-hmm. never, I was the same as you guys. I never took part in it. I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Nope. Too- no, thanks. No, I'm Mm-mm. good. They, they felt the opposite. They wanted mm. to, to play with the Ouija board. So they attempted to contact their mother using said Ouija board. Like they were kind of skeptic of it, but it was mainly out of curiosity. They're like, oh, how fun would it be? But they didn't take it too seriously. However, later that night, Karen and Tina received a rhythmic knocking against their bedroom walls as they slept. It appeared as though the girl's seance was successful. So in the dead of the night, they were woken up by knocking on their walls and they spoke to this unseen force that was knocking at them. They honestly thought it was their mom. They thought that they had actually successfully reached their mom. And their mom was like, I'm going to come and chill with you guys. Mm -mm. And they would actually ask the quote unquote spirit questions. And it would reply to them with knocking on the wall, like knock once for yes, twice for no kind of a thing. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Uh, So this went on for several evenings until the knocking became so regular that it started to disturb their sleep. Over time, objects in the house would begin to disappear and items which were laid out on a table one day would be thrown against the floor the next day. The girls would come to find furniture moved from one side of the room to the other. And eventually Karen and Tina believed that they were being haunted by a demon, not their mom, which they originally believed. So the girls went to their father and told him what was going on. And he kind of shrugged it off saying that, it was them that were doing all this and they were trying to get him in on it. Like they were, they were playing a prank on him. Uh, They did tell him that it wasn't them and that they believed that they had unknowingly allowed a demon to come through on the Ouija board that night. But he told them that they were crazy pretty much. One night in January of 1987, the strange knocking had begun while Karen and Tina were alone in their front room. And at this point, the constant tapping had become so common that it was driving the girls crazy. This particular night, however, it seemed that the noises were not coming from the walls, but from the basement. Nope, nope, nope. Never go into the basement. Yeah, no. That's like cardinal rule number one. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So they grabbed a kitchen knife and made their way toward the source of the noise. Once they got in the basement, the first thing that they saw was a message written on the wall in a blood red color that said i'm in your room come find me oh hell no i'd be like burn (laughs) the house down burn it down (laughs) do not want yeah um so yeah they they fled the house they were like fuck this shit we're out they went to their neighbor's house and they called their dad and had him come home from work so when he came home he went to the neighbor's house to get them they told him what they saw and Again, Frank is thinking that his daughters are doing this and severely messing with his head. <laughs> so he ordered Tina and Karen to go to therapy to help him cope with all this. You know, he thought that they were doing this. They were acting out because their mom died, which I get. But why would why would they write that on the wall? Yeah. A few weeks later, the girls started to hear the noises again. This time they were coming from behind Tina's bedroom wall. 
They soon found another message written on a wall in a blood red color saying, I'm back. Find me if you can. <laughs> Once again, they're like, they yeeted the fuck out of there. They went yeah. to their neighbor's house and was like, it happened again. We need to call dad. So that's exactly what they did. Uh, Frank came home and he was set on bringing them back to the house to prove them that th- this needs to stop. Well, when he entered the house, he noticed that the house was in a huge disarray. Um, the girls didn't mention anything about that. They just mentioned about the message that they had found. So he thought that that was kind of odd. Frank went into Tina's room all alone. An additional message had been painted on the wall. That message said, marry me. He was. <laughs> no, I know. I know. No, 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 no. <laughs> nope. No, thank you. Uh, he was also greeted by the horrific sight of a young boy standing in the corner, dressed in his deceased wife's clothing. He was also wearing her makeup and a blonde wig. And in one of his hands, he was carrying a hatchet. Oh, my Lord. Yes. And that boy that we're speaking about is Danny. Mm. Danny Danny was able to escape due to Frank being in complete shock of what the hell he was just looking at. So in in the midst of him trying to put two and two together to kind of grab Danny, he was able to get out of there without being caught. Needless to say, Frank was like, oh, shit. And he quickly called the cops. The cops got to the house and they started investigating immediately. When they saw the messages on the wall, there was an empty ketchup bottle next to, I want to say the last, uh, next to the marry me message. They were like, oh, it's ketchup. Thank God. So since it was ketchup, they went to the kitchen to search the kitchen and an officer found a hidden crawl space behind a cupboard, which was built into the wall of Tina's bedroom. When they opened the hatch, that's where they found Danny curled up inside. He was living in the walls. <laughs> that's that's not great. The officers removed Danny from the crawl space and placed him under arrest. Once he had been removed from the scene, officers conducted a thorough search of the Bowen residence. To their horror, they discovered that Danny had been living inside the walls of their home. The passageway which they had discovered um, Danny in had been tunneled around to other parts of the house. There were even a handful of like little peepholes, like drilled, not drilled, but like he made little peepholes so that he could see Tina from whatever room she was in from behind the walls. That's creepy. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he was holding a hatchet when Frank had found him, it it's suggesting that thank God the girls left and didn't find him because they probably would have been murdered. (laughs) Danny LaPlante was held in a juvenile facility for 10 months following the incident at the Bowen house. His case was then transferred to Lowell Superior Court, where he was held on $10,000 bail. A friend that's close to the family had said that his mom remortgaged their house to get the bail money for his release in October of 1987. Needless to say, the neighbors weren't too happy that he was coming back to the neighborhood. And and I can't blame them, to be completely honest with you. No, I exactly. It did not take long for Danny to get back to his old habits. The next month, during one of his robberies, he 
stole two handguns from a neighbor's house. On December 1st, 1987, with a 22 caliber in tow, Danny made his way through the woods behind his house and broke into the home of Andrew Gustafson, a pregnant Priscilla, and their two kids, Abigail and William. The house was initially empty when he broke in, but unfortunately, 33-year-old Priscilla and her five-year-old son, William, returned home. He considered jumping from the window, but instead decided to confront the pregnant mother and her child. He put William in a closet and tied Priscilla to the bed, where he proceeded to rape her and then shoot her twice in the head. He then went to the closet, grabbed William, and drowned him in an upstairs bathroom. When he went to leave the house, that's when he ran into seven-year-old Abigail, who had also just returned home from school, and he lured her into the downstairs bathroom and drowned her as well. Priscilla's husband, Andrew Gustafson, was at work when LaPlante invaded his home, and upon returning, was met with the most horrific sight of his life. Andrew discovered Priscilla laying face down on her bed, her pillows red with blood spatter. He called the police, who then discovered the bodies of Andrew's two children in two different bathtubs. William had been drowned in the upstairs bathroom, Abigail, and the downstairs bathroom. While Andrew was coming to grips with the brutal murder of his entire family, Danny LaPlante was eating dinner and attending his niece's birthday party as if nothing happened. Yeah. Wow. That's ridiculous. Police began investigating the scene at the Gustafson home immediately following the killings. Evidence at, evidence at and surrounding the scene were plentiful, to say the least. Uh, a chemist with the Department of Public Safety found semen and a piece of condom near one of the corners of the bedspread where Priscilla was found. A saliva-soaked brown sock with a knot in it was found in the bedroom closet and appeared to have been used as a gag. Several ligatures, a necktie, a sock, stockings, and pantyhose, which appeared to be knotted and cut, were also found. An open but full bottle of beer from the fridge was also found in the bedroom. Robert Hippler and his scent dog, Mike, picked up a scent from a pillowcase with the two bullet holes in the bedroom. The dog followed the scent to a pile of rocks in the woods behind the home where two unmatched gloves and a blue shirt were found. Trooper Cleveland Coates and his scent dog Spike picked up the scent on the pile and followed it right up to LaPlante's front door. Sneaker prints headed in the direction of the LaPlante home also that matched up with the prints found outside of the Gustafson home. These facts, along with the other evidence found, gave enough reason to issue a warrant for the arrest of Daniel LaPlante for the murders. So knowing that he was wanted for these murders, he took to the woods to hide from the authorities. Lieutenant Tom Lane led the hunt for LaPlante and pulled into the driveway of Lynn McGovern, whose home was close to the wooded area. Lynn had just returned home and and fearful of a run-in with the fugitive, asked Lieutenant Lane to escort her into her home. Little did they know, Danny was actually hiding upstairs and armed with a revolver shotgun and a high-powered rifle that he stole from another property. Startled by Lane's appearance, Danny dropped the shotgun at the top of the stairs and jumped through a window, landing on the roof of the garage and running back into the woods. Soon after, he was tracked to a dumpster and finally apprehended. He was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences for the murders of Priscilla, Abigail, and William. 
2019, LaPlante's lawyer asked the highest court in Massachusetts for a shot at an early release. He was denied. And thank God. So this motherfucker that was living in people's walls and scaring the shit out of people is still behind bars and he will be for the rest of his life. Well, that's good news because I don't think that person should ever be allowed out into the general public at all. Nope. Me neither. Me neither. Yeah. And the one site that I was on, it actually had a picture of a drawing that kind of indicated where this hole in the wall was, where he was, when he was in Tina and Karen's house. And Mm -hmm. it was like, it was like tiny. And I'm not saying that a human couldn't fit in it, but just like, I don't like, why, why, how could you not get claustrophobic? You know, like, I don't care if you know, you're like, oh, whatever, small spaces don't bother me, yada, yada, yada. If you're in a small space to where you can't even turn on your side, how? Like, why? Yeah, I agree. People are weird, man. People are weird, man. The world is a screwy place. Just saying. It really, really is. And it's so sad that Priscilla, her unborn child, and her other two children were all killed for no reason. For no reason other than coming home, thinking that nothing, that they weren't going to come face to face with a freaking murderer. Right. Like, I couldn't even imagine being Andrew. No, not at all. I would, a lot of therapy would be needed. A lot of therapy would absolutely be needed. But yeah, so that's the crazy and creepy story of the boy in the walls, Mr. Daniel LaPlante. Well, that was an interesting story, Jovi. Very interesting yes. and definitely think makes you think less of society. Not yes. gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we have to worry about locking our doors. Now do we have to worry about somehow making it so Nope. Can't even think of yet. Yeah, nope. Can't even think about that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah, no, no, because like you know, living in a house, as the house gets older, it settles. So you'll hear like random tapping or whatever. And I'm not going to lie, when I was doing this story, a bird actually flew into my window. Oh my gosh. It scared the living shit out of me. I was like, I mean, it would scare me, period, because it's a terrible noise. Right. But the fact that I was just researching about a boy who lived in walls, that did not help. Yeah. It did not help. That'll do it. No. <laughs> Needless to say, I ended uh, researching very quickly after that. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So yeah, that that's it. That's 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 all she wrote. Wow. Well, thank you, sissy, for standing in Charlie's place and listening to this to tonight's bed crime story. I really appreciate it. Oh no problem. Thank you very much for inviting me. I I like this substitute teacher gig I got going on. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to record with us more often we need to make another sister so that was a lot of fun yes yes it was i liked i did enjoy that that was fun <laughs> i'd be down i'd be on board for that well we'll have to talk to charlie i know she would be too it's just planning planning sucks <laughs> that's right that's right we'll have to loop her in let her know we gotta get on that yes 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 
Well, all right, guys. Um, if you have any story suggestions, if you want to say hi, if you want to send us pictures of your pets, feel free to send us an email at bedcrimestoriespod at gmail.com. You could slide into our DMs on the Instagram at bedcrimestories. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe uh, wherever you're listening. Tell all your friends. Uh, do not tell any friends that might be living in walls. We do not want that kind of energy around us. Yeah, no wall people. No, not at no. no just people. let them stay in the wall. Tell them to leave the wall, but just don't involve them. It's yeah. it's not welcome. Agreed. As as always, guys, be kind. Be the band aid. Smile at people. Just wave to them. Something. Not in a creepy. No. <laughs> Not in a creepy way, please. No. No. Smile in a nice, genuine, non-creepy way. That's what we like to see. Non-creepy smiles around these parts. Right, right. So don't smile like Chandler Bing, because that's yeah. just don't do that. <laughs> true. It's true. And if you don't get that reference, please feel free to Google. I promise you will be amused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think I pretty much covered it all. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, thank you again for listening. Sissy, thank you for standing in. Greatly appreciated. We'll see you guys next week. But until then, sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. Our theme song is the song Industrial Music Box by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by backslash 3.0.